It was the Easter weekend last weekend, so uh, maybe a little too much chocolate consumed, perhaps? Well, with the odd blip, it seems more and more of us are turning to more healthy products, and for farmers, that's creating new opportunities. Today on the programme, we meet one such farmer who's not only embracing it, but being something of a pioneer. Yeah, it was definitely a risk, but we managed that risk by not growing any um, large amounts of quinoa early on. So we've taken it in steps all the way to make sure that if things did fall flat on their face, which they could potentially do so, um, we never had too much exposure to it. More on quinoa, or is it quinoa, a little later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We uh, start this week's programme with the angry response from farming to a sudden decision by Natural England to effectively ban pigeon and crow shooting. On Tuesday, after a legal challenge involving Chris Packham, it revoked three licences, giving just 36 hours notice that the ban was coming into force from Thursday. Well, on Twitter, it's fair to say I've never seen such rage. Well, aside from Brexit. Uh, The NFU's Guy Smith said it had significant concerns and the licences are absolutely necessary at this time of year when crops are particularly vulnerable to pests. CLA President Tim Brightmere said the decision will place additional strain on Natural England's limited resources, further breeding an ever-growing sense of frustration at a time when farmers are proactively engaging with the environmental agenda, while the Tenant Farmers Association described it as a knee-jerk decision and says a proper consultation should have been held. And those were just some of the responses I'm allowed to mention this early on a Sunday. Uh, Tim Bonner is Chief Executive of the Countryside Alliance. What was your response when you heard the news on Tuesday night, Tim? Um, Well, first of all, fairly angry because this is a very serious issue for a lot of people, a lot of farmers, uh, a lot of pest controllers, a lot of gamekeepers in the countryside. They're using these uh, what are called open general licences on a daily basis. Um, and the idea that at 36 hours notice we can communicate with everyone who's using that license is where and has been doing this is nothing new i mean these the, the current form has been going on for decades um the idea we can communicate with them and telling them that they're going to be breaking the law if they're shooting a pigeon over their uh, over their spring crops and it's just a nonsense um it, it's just it's an absolute nonsense and i think the um yeah the the, the natural england may have legal advice which 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 says they have to do this, but they have to take responsibility for getting themselves in this situation in the first place. I mean, 36 hours notice is, uh, it just seems so hurried, doesn't it? So rushed. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and you know, the, the, this is clearly a response uh, to advice uh, and, a, and, a, and a legal challenge which has been made in the licences. Um, but, you know, the, the question is who should take the pain here? Um, and it, it whilst... Um, the idea that someone who has been shooting pigeons for 20 years over, a spiel, uh, yeah, their, over their crops um, could be uh, approached on Thursday, asked, asked whether they have an individual licence for doing so, uh, and then prosecuted and getting a criminal conviction for doing that. You know, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. That is the situation. I mean, it's a difficult enough time at the moment, isn't it, in farming, whether it's uncertainty over Brexit, whether it's the weather conditions, um, and, and pigeons, you know, these birds, they are doing damage to the crops, aren't they? Of course they are, and it's it's a uh, yeah. There, there are hundreds of thousands of, uh, of pigeons shot uh, all over the UK uh, every year. Uh, we all know that they you know, they have a they can have a really significant impact on 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 growing crops. Um, you know, all sorts of growing crops, and it's 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 something that we that no one ever needs to think about, which makes the whole situation even more ludicrous. Because the idea that someone who has been, as I say, has been doing this for for, for decades, is suddenly going to be committing an offence. 
Um, and it is the duty of the government to ensure that, that, that individuals are in a situation where they can protect their own livelihoods, uh, protect their way of life, protect their businesses. Um, and removing a license like this at such short notice, because of their own shortcomings, quite clearly, um, is something that's not really acceptable. Now, from tomorrow, uh, new licences uh, are coming in. A new set of licences will be introduced, Natural England say, but there's been no consultation on that. We're, it's it's, it's going to be still unsure what's going on, aren't we? We are, and, you know, and from Monday, we're not sure what from Monday means. Um, you know, our understanding is that um, there's some quite complicated assessments which will, which need to be carried out before Natural England can issue these licences. In some cases, it may be that the evidence is there that allows them to do that, but in some cases it may not be, and we just don't know. Uh, we have no idea. And this isn't, you know, this is about, obviously, we've talked about farmers and crops. We've talked about, I mean, at this time of year, um, you know, livestock farmers, you know, crow, crows um, uh, attacking lambs and, uh, and ewes when they're lambing is, is, a, is a big issue for a lot of sheep farmers, especially in the hills. You know, they won't be able to control, uh, control crows. And whether you're you know, the RSPB or a gamekeeper on a grouse moor, you're this time of year, you're controlling corvids, crows, and uh, carrying crows in the north of England, uh, because they are, they are uh, really significant predators of some of the rarest birds, ground-nesting birds we have. So you know, at this time of year, to have the license removed for a period and a, and a, and a real question mark over what's going to come afterwards um, is, is something that, it, that really is unacceptable. Um, and I hope that Natural England have now, finally, um, uh, been able to carry out assessments, have the science, and, and are able to issue new licences. But the form of those, we're not, we're, you know, we are by no means certain of. Um, and we need confidence going forward very rapidly that proper management can be carried out for conservation, for farming, for all the, the, the important issues that it has to, has to support in the countryside. You've expressed your anger, your uh, frustration to Natural England. What what more would you like to see happen now, given that you know this this is coming in? Um, well, look, look, over, overall, this is a political question. I mean, Natural England is an agency of DEFRA, uh, the Secretary of State um, it has ultimate responsibility. Michael Gove. There's significant political questions here uh, about how we got into this mess because there's nothing new in question marks about the use of these licences. Um, you know, there's been challenges before. In 2014, there was quite a big row about changes to the to the license in, in, involving uh, shooting of pigeons to protect crops, for instance. Um, and, I, and what we really can't believe is that, despite the fact that there's been you know, questions raised, there's been challenges before, that, that Natural England hasn't done its homework. Um, and you know, it is an agency, but there is ultimate political responsibility. And why is it uh, that uh, farmers are being going to be left in the situation they are this week, um, uh, open potentially to prosecution? Well, that's the views of Tim Bonner from the Countryside Alliance. Wild Justice, the organisation that brought the legal challenge, backed by Chris Packham, has said it's delighted to have won the case. It says millions of birds are killed each year under the terms of the general licences, and many of these deaths will not be justified. It says it's a mess of natural England's making, having operated an unlawful licensing system, and claims they've dillied and dallied over admitting it. In a statement, Natural England told us it's working at pace to put in place over the next few weeks alternative measures to allow lawful control of the bird species to continue where necessary. In the meantime, once the licences have been revoked and until new licences are issued, anyone needing to control one of the 16 bird species where there is no reasonable non-lethal alternative will need to apply for one of the individual licences which we uh, discussed earlier.
Well, late on Friday, it tried to uh, further clarify the situation, saying controls can still be carried out lawfully and setting out three options. Option one from Natural England, new licences, which are going live on gov.uk over the next few days, and they'll cover the majority of circumstances previously covered by the revoked licences to ensure that uh, landowners can continue to take necessary action, whilst also taking into account the needs of wildlife. Elsewhere, option two, it says that anybody who needs to act within the law to control wild birds before the licence they need is ready can rely on a simple online application system for individual licences. That went live on Thursday evening. And option three, Natural England says if you need to take urgent action before you receive a new licence, you can do so in some circumstances. Uh, With regard to serious damage to crops and livestock, you will need to use a notification system and you'll be told how to do this in response to your licence application. Well, it's all confusing and either way, it's uh, a mess. Uh, We'll get his agronomy in a moment. But first, what does our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, make of it all? Morning. Well, yes, morning, Sean. I mean, I will. all I can add to that is that I am absolutely disgusted with Natural England for being held to ransom by Rasputin, sorry, Chris Packham. Um, his legal challenge to stop the general licence because he's telling everybody it gives farmers a licence just go and blast every bird out of the sky. Absolute nonsense. It is a management tool. It is a vital tool. And particularly this time of year for things like pigeons that are absolutely decimating crops like peas and beans and linseed and rape and spring rape. You get them in the thousands. You can put bangers out in the field and kites and flashes, but it doesn't work. And part of the control we have is to be able to shoot a certain percentage of the population to keep the population at manageable levels. Same thing with magpies, crows, carrion crows, corvidae in general. If you see a magpie on a hedge, hopping up and down a hedge, as you often will, you say your little rhyme, one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret, never to be told, and you laugh and you think that's just lovely and there's a magpie. That magpie is seeking out every single small bird's nest in that hedge and it will run from one end to the other and it will kill every fledgling bird and it will eat every egg that it finds in that hedge and then it'll move on to the next hedge so it is songbirds that are at most at risk i mean you look at lapwings skylarks medipipits wagtails thrushes starlings blackbirds yellowhammers chaffinches bullfinches blackcaps all of these little birds that are nesting in hedges and birds that we in agriculture are trying to protect and promote and get their numbers built up all of a sudden have a friend in us and an enemy in Mr Packham because by allowing the corvidae and the magpies and the predators of these little birds to increase to levels where we can't control them the only thing that's going to happen is the population of these small birds is going to fall back and what will happen when that happens it's fairly obvious isn't it Mr Packham and his crew will blame the farmers they'll take no responsibility whatsoever for it and it's worse than that because when I was a shepherd there won't be many shepherds out there who won't have witnessed what I've seen with carrion crows attacking land in the night they peck out their eyes they eat their tongues i've seen it firsthand and it is a terrible terrible thing that is why we need to have the ability to go and shoot carrion crows should they be doing that to our animal 
um, out there in the field. But it's not just that. It's also things like pigeons we try and control because they're not clean creatures. They're covered in mites and fleas. They carry salmonella on their feet, E. coli, histoplasmosis, which can be a fatal respiratory disease. It's in their poo. It's in their guts. So their poo sits on buildings and trees. And as it crumbles away and turns to dust as it dries, it blows on the wind. It's not an easy thing to avoid. Cryptococcus. I mean, they are voracious as well out there in the field and they will cripple farms by allowing being allowed in numbers to destroy rape and linseed peas and beans and everything else we need to be able to control them on farm and it's a terrible state of affairs because if you add to that the corvid a you add to those the raptors which are building in number so you've the harriers marsh harriers hen harriers you've got buzzards we've got all these raptors all of these birds the corvidae the magpie the raptors are all feasting on the little songbirds so their population and their days are pretty numbered if we have no way of controlling them so i'm absolutely disgusted to be perfectly honest right let's move on to agronomy then i'm disgusted with that as well 2.2 mil of rain on Thursday, it's Friday morning as I sit here. I've now had 86.2 mil since Christmas Eve, and I've got cracks two inches wide, eight inches deep in my field. Wheat and barley, a lot of stress out there, a lot of yellowing. They're drawing nutrients out of the older leaves to feed the new leaves. Because with the filicron and the temperatures, it's that is encouraging new growth. And as the new growth appears, that needs to be sustained. Hence the reason they're dragging nutrients. There are wild oats appearing all over the top shop. In winter wheat, you've got two choices really, cladina and you've got pinoxidin looking at the cost it will probably be cladinophop in spring barley winter barley all you really have is pulling them by hand or pinoxidin so look at the cost before you go and order it there's a lot of septoria and rust still out there in the base of these crops they're the most prevalent diseases so t1 vital timing for t1 now winter barley a lot of abiotic spotting out there and net blotch starting a lot of drought stress out there i've actually got the, the horns out in one of my fields of barley on thursday so that is a stress reaction to where we are now um so spring barley spring wheat t1 going on spring barley now remember growth stage 30 more the likely t1 timing on spring barley rather than growth stage 32 as it is in winter wheat broadleaf weeds manganese just be careful with tank mixes and the amounts of products you've got particularly if you're spraying in temperatures above 22 degrees c because you're likely to scorch and the stress levels are far far higher when you're at those temperatures sugar beet we're seeing flea beetle for the first time in many many years because now we haven't got the neonicotinoids to deal with those flea beetles and remember flea beetle is a different creature to cabbage stem flea beetle just if you had cabbage stem next door in oilseed rake flea beetle is not the same animal so look for the shot holing and look for the damage and treat if you have to um misus persicae we are picking up according to bbro winged misus persicae which transmit virus of course in sugar beet and again now we haven't got the neonicotinoids we're at risk from those your threshold is one wingless aphid misus persicae peach potato aphid one wingless aphid per four plants keep your eyes open but sort of add the two things together bbro website look at what they're finding and keep vigilant i think is the best thing um herbicides on sugar beet just for goodness sake watch it if the temperature above 21 degrees c don't do it and under no circumstances use bubble jets or air induction noddles if it's 20 degrees c you need little or no oil there is a very high risk of stress damage um, we've got these 
diurnal temperatures, 24 degrees in the day down to four at night, 20 degree variant there. Pea and beans, a lot of weevil activity over the last few days and all you can hope to do with them is disrupt the adults. There's no threshold, but you have to make a careful choice of the right insecticide to make sure that you're not hurting uh, non-target creatures. Linseed, we're seeing a bit of flea beetle in there, but very, very stressy. Watch those herbicides again in the linseed. Stressy crops, don't go too soon. Make sure the crop's a couple of inches high and capable of withstanding the onset. An oilseed rate is now moving. Very variable pod set out there. Widespread bud abortion due to the stress from the drought and cabbage stem flea beetle. And the flea beetle and the late frost may not have finished with us quite yet. Anyway, it's May next week. Just saying. It is indeed. Enjoy the end of April, Sean. Uh, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. What do you know about quinoa, or quinoa? It seems everyone's split as to just exactly how you say it. Uh, sales are on the up, that's for sure. It has more protein than most other grains, and the International Space Station even serves it up to its astronauts. Uh, it's usually brought into the UK from South America, but it's actually being grown here in the UK. One farmer is growing it in Nottinghamshire. Stephen Jones is MD of the British quinoa, or quinoa, company. Myself and my dad started um, this company in 2005 and we've really worked for the past 10 years to develop quinoa as a new British grown crop in the UK. And how's, how's it gone so far? Was it a risk? Yeah it was definitely a risk but we managed that risk by not growing any um, large amounts of quinoa early on so we've taken it in steps all the way to make sure that if things did fall flat on their face which they could potentially do so um, we never had too much exposure to it. And what was it 10 years ago that made you think, that's the crop for us? I was just reading about quinoa, uh, or quinoa, in an article, um, and it jumped out at me as being a really healthy product. It seemed a shame that people weren't eating more of it, uh, and also I wondered, could we actually grow it in the UK? And it, it turned out on, on all those fronts, yes, we can grow it, and yes, people should be eating more of it, and now you'll see in the market, it's actually a very commonplace ingredient. It's much more of a, a kitchen store staple than it used to ever be. That's, that was going to be my next question, actually. How popular is it now? Is it is it getting that trend? Is it getting that, that build? Are people you know actually buying the product yeah absolutely so we now supply into a lot of different places where they either repack the grain under a a brand or it'll go for production into a a salad for example and we're seeing year-on-year growth which is nice Um, some of that is from new business um, so new recipe development that companies have done um, and some of it is sort of from our own brand where we're doing other things with it as well so we're trying to have a a diversified business and we've got some under our own brand some going out under other people's brand and that seems to work for us quite well and we're just seeing the market continuing to increase year by year and as you say it's one of those healthy foods isn't it which you know is almost a superfood yes absolutely so some people like the term superfoods others don't it's one of those terms that can be quite divisive but um quinoa without a doubt it has a lot of protein to it it's got a really good quality protein as well um the version that we grow in the uk has actually got a higher level of fiber than you'd find from south america and it's low glycemic index so if you eat it it'll release its sugars much more slowly into your bloodstream which is good for preventing things like diabetes and also helps keep you fuller for longer. Quinoa is definitely one of those crops that's being touted nowadays as a really drought-tolerant crop. I'm not actually necessarily sure that's as true as people say it is. It can certainly survive a drought as long as you've managed to get the seedbed right, that you've got a nice seedbed for the crop to get its roots down into. If you've got compaction in the field, then you'll find that it won't put its roots down and it won't be able to tolerate the drought. So it is a bit of swings and roundabouts, but people seem to be saying it is a prop for the future, it's healthy, and uh, you know, hopefully within the future its consumption will continue to soar. And definitely being a profitable uh, crop you found. 
yeah, it is profitable. Um, it's definitely not, a, you know, a, a, a golden bullet. Um, but when we're looking for alternatives to things like oilseed rape um, or other cereals, canoa has been a useful part of the rotation. Um, yeah, I think that's the key thing. It's a useful part of the rotation. And for us, it just helps to spread our cost base and spread our uh, market across a wider number of customers rather than rely, relying solely on things like oilseed rape or wheat. And as a company, I guess you're looking for the next quinoa, the next uh, big crop, are you as well? To some extent, it's actually really hard to find something that's got all the, the qualities of quinoa in one product. We've actually looked at various other things, and we've got other crops that are starting to come to market that in the next few years we'll be able to grow and sell. But actually finding something that's like quinoa in terms of being high protein, um, having no gluten in it as well, that's a really, really difficult thing to find. So we keep searching. That's Steve Jones, MD of the British Quinoa Company. Quinoa, quinoa, however you say it. Uh, I know how to say open field. That's nice and simple. And Kit Dickinson has the update on the grain markets this week. Good morning, Sean. Wheat this week. London wheat futures have traded down by £2.75 so far and made a slight recovery on Wednesday. The domestic wheat market is relatively quiet with little movement in the market. Most consumers have taken cover to the end of May, which is limiting homes for any wheat left on farm. Canada's released statistics this week on their 2019 crop planting area. And they've put the total seed acres up by 3.8% to 25.7 million acres and currently have good growing conditions. In the UK, the main talking point at the farm gate has been around the weather and when the desperately needed rain will come. There are some farmers that have been irrigating wheat now for 10 days, which is the complete opposite of this time last year. Another question being debated is around the severe weather we have experienced in the last 18 months and could 2018 and 2019 go down in the record books, like 1975-76. Even though the UK crops are coming under drought pressure, there are still crops looking very healthy, and there are no major weather concerns at the moment affecting the global market. As a result of this new crop, wheat is trading at a £20 discount to old crop, so it's worth taking advantage of the price while it's still available. Moving on to all seed rate, Rebecca mentioned last week that 300x the farm was now achievable for May. That has risen slightly to 304 and there is still a lot of oilseed rape on farm. So again, it's worth keeping an eye on the price, and if 310 is achievable at any point, there could be a glut of rape come to the market, meaning that the price will drop away again very quickly. Although oilseed rape got off to a bad start last autumn due to the drought and flea beetle damage, the remaining crops look well. Will it be another early harvest, or will it be normal middle to end of July? Feed barley is currently trading between 128 and 130 x the farm for May and a £10 discount for new crop. Going back to the weather, if it stays warm and dry and grassland starts to suffer, there may be no other option but to buy feed barley in for the consumer. This could affect our feed barley as consumers will have a higher demand for it. Winter barley looks well, but spring barley is starting to suffer through a lack of rain, which again could start to affect our domestic price. Moving on to prices this week. Feed wheat X the farm for May is 158 to 162 for harvest, 138 to 140. November, 140 to 143. And May 2020, 146 to 148. Currently, million premiums on old crop are £20, dependent on area and quality. Oil seed rate for May is 303 to 304, as I said earlier, and harvest reducing slightly to 298 to 300. November, 306 to 307. And May 20, 310 to 312.
feed barley, again, as I said earlier, for May, 128 to 130. £10 discount to harvest at 119 to 121. And November, 127 to 129. There are currently no indicative feed barley prices going forward. Malting barley premiums have come down by circa £20 and are trading now at between £15 and £18 per tonne. Thanks for the prices. Kit Dickinson from Open Fields. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, turning to the weather and uh, temperatures back around average uh, this week. We'll see high pressure building from the south later, though, which will bring a fairly settled week ahead, mostly dry and sunny. Some cloud today, highs around 12, the wind from the northwest gusting at 25 miles an hour. For the rest of the week, as I say, we're looking at plenty of sunshine. Winds from the east, they'll generally be around 10 miles an hour Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Daytime highs around 15 with overnight lows of five or six. There could be some rain in the latter half of the week, but then as we head to next weekend and another bank holiday, it looks like it might well be another sunny one. Not as warm as last weekend, but sunny all the same. We'll see. For now, that is the forecast. Our last word this week, actually a sound. Almost going back to where we started this week with the sound of bird song. Here it is. Yes, the uh, RSPB has released this called Let Nature Sing. They hope it might even make the charts. The charity is hoping to highlight threatened and endangered species such as the skylark, turtle dove and the nightingale. After the uh, anger over wild birds this week, it's a more peaceful way to end the programme, we think. Uh, until next week, take care. <laughs>